This morning's reading following on is coming from Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arab, the Ammonite, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jeremiah's, uh, Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot build the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I had looked things over, I stood up, and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side, as he worked. 
But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marjorie. Well, as we come to God's word this morning, uh, let us pray. Uh, Lord our God, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it. Help me to proclaim it clearly. And Lord, may we go home this morning with a blessing, a blessing and a challenge. that We might know you better and love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to see another side of Nehemiah's leadership, which has many useful and practical applications. It's his ability to keep calm and carry on in face of strong opposition. Personally, I find one of the hardest things about leadership is the challenge of dealing with difficult people. How are you at dealing with difficult people? There there will always be those who disagree with us. It's unavoidable. It's part of life, isn't it? We see things differently. Uh, We find ourselves in conflict, and that's part of life. The challenge, though, is to find out who your friends are and who your enemies are. Because even a friend can be troublesome if they disagree with your goals, but a friend who opposes you in love is a very different thing to an enemy who opposes you out of sheer envy and hatred. Sometimes the enemy can be the one who is flattering you and telling you what a wonderful job that they think you're doing. They can lie, they can deceive in order to pull you down. In our passage today, Sanballat and Tobiah are enemies of God's people. They and their associates are nasty people. If they could get away with murder, they would. So they conspire together and they do all they can to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the wall because they know that once the wall has been rebuilt, they will be the losers. For them, this is all about power and control. But for Nehemiah, this is not about power and control at all. It's about God's glory. It's about God's glory. This is a spiritual battle for the glory of God. For him, the question is, how can God be honoured while the city of Jerusalem lies in ruins? How can the gospel go forth from this city as it's meant to do, this light on a hill, this city on a hill? How can can Jerusalem, the city, fulfil its 
its mission of sharing the good news, of sending the gospel forth, as it were, in Old Testament terms, when it lies in ruins and its people are in disgrace. This is a spiritual battle, ultimately against Satan, who is working in the hearts of Sanballat and Tobiah and others to inflame their hatred of Nehemiah and the people of God, and ultimately of Christ. You see, the, the enemy is hell-bent on overthrowing God's kingdom by suppressing the gospel and by enslaving the church. At such a time as this, we need leaders like Nehemiah, men who will trust in the Lord despite strong opposition and who overcome fear with faith. They set for us an example of how to respond to the pressures. Whether it's difficult people, whether it's spiritual attacks, by overcoming fear with faith, they show us how to respond. Well, as we saw last week, Nehemiah always did his homework before going into battle. As we saw, he knew his God, he knew his goal, he knew his ground, and he knew his game plan. He knew what he was going to do before he got there. He'd worked it out, so he wasn't taken by surprise by the enemy. When the attacks came, he was able to keep calm and carry on and finish the work to God's glory. How do you overcome fear in your service of God? The answer is that you fight fear with faith. So with these thoughts in mind, let's now take a closer look at our passage and at Nehemiah's experience of this spiritual battle. My first point today is that godly action generates strong opposition. Godly action generates strong opposition. Uh, At times it's almost like watching a tennis match in uh, the first part of our passage with Nehemiah on one side and Sanballat and his associates on the other. Ladies and gentlemen, quiet please, Nehemiah's about to serve and he serves. He serves notice of his plan to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem which takes the enemy by surprise and this stirs up a good deal of consternation on the other side of the net. So verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and was greatly incensed. This is a strong word. This is one of those, I can't sleep at night for I am incensed. I am so angry and upset and troubled and vexed by this situation. And so a match of wills begins. It is a spiritual battle. The mocking and the mind games, they will continue throughout Nehemiah's time as governor. And they'll come from first one quarter and then another, sometimes from without, uh, outside Israel, sometimes from within. And here Sanballat makes his first attempt, and what will continue to be many attempts, to shout down, shut down, and deplatform Nehemiah. And I'm using that language because we see that happening in our world today so often. Uh, when the world doesn't like what you say, they will try to shut you down, deplatform you. Uh, we see cases of doxing and all this language uh, around uh, the public release of information about people's homes and, and addresses and, and where to find you. And it's frightening, I should imagine, when that information gets out and strangers start calling you. I did have that happen. I've had calls to myself personally at different times and people will threaten you down the phone uh, because they've heard things that have been said or done in the name of Christ. 
Well, basically, Sanballat is playing dirty. In this first round of escalating conflict, we're told he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring back the stones to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? You fools. So he mocks them, this This is the first stage. Godly action generates strong opposition. The moment you start doing a good work for the Lord, the moment you do something that's truly worthwhile, watch out. You can be sure that you will appear on Satan's radar screen and be lighting up with your location. But don't be discouraged. The fact that you're now being attacked tells you that you're on target. Don't be discouraged by people who mock and ridicule you when you're doing the right thing. This applies in the workplace as well. When people bring in policies that you know are wrong, what are you going to do? How do you honour Christ? Do you simply allow things to be changed without at least commenting? At the very least to pray about it. One of the surest signs that you're achieving something of lasting significance in God's sight is the fact that there is some pushback upon you. As Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice Jesus says falsely say all kinds of evil. The things they say won't even be true. The opposite of true. You can be sure if you serve Christ faithfully, you will be mocked and insulted by the sand ballots of this world. But, Jesus goes on to say, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we read those words, we always think, okay, nice in theory, not so easy in practice. Rejoice and be glad when people lie about you, mock you and ridicule you? Yes, if you're serving Christ, if you're honouring your king, you can rejoice and be glad. Because, you see, you'll be in good company. Think of it, if Nehemiah had shrunk back from the start at this first sign of opposition, if he'd stepped back, if he'd failed to organise the supplies of timber or failed to rouse the people to the task or failed to rally the defences of the city when he needed to, I'm sure that Sanballat and his cronies could have endured Nehemiah's presence in the city well enough. They could have ignored him because he wouldn't have been a threat. But you see, Nehemiah held firm and so he was dangerous. He was dangerous to them. God, in his mercy, was granting success to his people and this was the very thing that Sanballat and Satan cannot abide. This is a gospel issue. When Sanballat saw that his control over the lives of the people was starting to slip away or was possibly to do so, he was filled with anger. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer offer sacrifices? Will they get everything back to normal in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then, of course, he's off to buy that mangy lapdog. 
he chimes in as well. What they're building? <laughs> Why, if even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their walls of stone. And don't say words can't hurt you. Don't say words can't hurt you because they can. You've been hurt by words? I have. I'm sure it happens to us all from time to time. People sort of get under the armour, say something that just pierces you. If I'd been Nehemiah, I'm sure I would have felt the barbs of ridicule hitting home because, let's face it, there is a grain of truth here in what these troublemakers are saying. Right now the wall is in a perilous state with holes and gaps and breaches everywhere. It is a bit of a half-done, half-baked job. It's not finished. It's barely enough workers to finish the job. But this is no time to panic. This is a time to keep calm and carry on. Nehemiah refuses to answer these fools according to their folly. What would it achieve if he tried to? If he got into a slanging match with them and just waste his breath, it would distract him from the work at hand. It would give satisfaction to those who are teasing him. So the wisdom here is to ignore them, to keep calm and carry on. You know, so often with these games that people play these days, you don't play the game. That's how you stop this whole thing. If people tease you, ridicule you, call you whatever they want to call you, don't, don't answer back. Don't play the game because the game is rigged for you to lose. It's like this racist, anti-racist stuff. Uh, whatever you say, you lose. Um, so don't play the game. And that's what Nehemiah does here. He just gets on with the job. Instead of returning fire, he prays to God. He prays. He pours out his frustrations to the Lord who he knows will hear and understand and thereby he unburdens his soul because it does hurt, it does affect him but he's going to deal with it in this positive way. It's something we can all learn from. When your enemy attacks you, the first thing to do is to pray. That's godly leadership. Look at verse 4. This is his prayer. It's a great prayer. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of your builders. Feel free to tell God, your heavenly Father, all your hopes and cares. And don't hold back. And Nehemiah doesn't hold back. For the way of the Lord is a refuge to the righteous, but it is the ruin of those who do evil. So pray and trust that God will answer you according to your need, for he is your heavenly Father. But perhaps you're wondering as you see this prayer, should I curse people in my prayers? Because Jesus teaches me to love my enemies. Is this a Christian prayer? Well, it's true, there is a shift away from pronouncing curses in the New Testament. Jesus says, bless and do not curse. But I personally don't have a problem with Nehemiah's prayer, as I've been reflecting on this. I think a a little bit of righteous anger and some Old Testament directness is a good thing. I'm reminded of Paul, who rebuked the Galatians for following a different gospel, and he didn't hold back when he anathematized them. 
In the same way, John, the apostle, pronounces a curse on anyone who tries to alter the words of the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. So there are examples of this as well. There is a place for what I might call strong condemnatory prayer. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sin from your sight, to which I say, Amen. Either change them or remove them. Lord, deal with them as you see is right. Well, it's a strong prayer. It's heartfelt and it's raw. But if you're in Nehemiah's shoes, can't you sense there's a context for this kind of prayer? It's being prayed in the heat of battle under pressure, from the heart. It makes sense and and God soon answers this prayer with decisive results. As you can see in verse 6, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Isn't it amazing what you can do when you put your heart to things? The opposition in this case actually brought unity to the people. I mean, opposition and this sort of thing, it can actually cause people to separate and to scatter, but here it draws the people together and they have one heart and one purpose and despite what is being said and being done, they persist and before you know it, the wall has been restored to half its height. So round one in this battle of wills goes to Nehemiah and the people of God. The half-finished wall testifies to the fact that Nehemiah's plan to rebuild the wall can succeed if the people put their hearts to it. And it also proves that Sanballat isn't as smart as he thought he was. But that only makes him even angrier than before. Sanballat won't let this matter rest. If mockery and insult don't stop the work, then perhaps military action and criminal sabotage will. So round two in this battle of wills now begins. My second point is that strong opposition calls for courageous faith. Strong opposition calls for courageous faith. Now the list of Sanballat's allies in verse 7 suggests he actually formed some kind of an anti-Jewish coalition to surround the city and tighten the screws. You've got these references to the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod, the Arabs. Sanballat is actually a um, a Babylonian name. He's from Haran, which is in the north of Jerusalem. So you've got basically the whole of the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah surrounded by this coalition that Sanballat's uh, put together. I understand Sanballat's name actually pops up in historical records as well. He became, um, and probably already was by this time, the governor of Samaria, which explains why the army of Samaria is there. He's a man of particular influence, and the idea of Jerusalem being established and getting its defences together would have been uh, just the unthinkable to him. It would have changed the power and the influence that he had in the region as the governor of Samaria. So verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. 
I wonder how many people have heard of the United Front movement in China. Um, the United Front movement is a very, very significant part of communist influence in the world today. Uh, basically, it is controlled from the Politburo, the very centre of the Communist Party in China. It then has uh, various departments that relate to every aspect of life, one of which is religion. And it then, through these uh, uh, front situations like Confucius uh, centres in universities, uh, influences every part of a society. Well, that's what's going on here. You've got influence, you've got a surrounding of the people of God and a plotting together to undo them. And many things in life are beyond our control. Many things in life we cannot even know or understand. But this we know and this we believe that our God is faithful and true and that he is sovereign and able to oversee everything in our lives and in the world. As the old proverb says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And that is a great promise. Whatever else we might think we're doing, it is the Lord who is sovereign and the Lord who will see these things through. So we are kept secure in the bonds of his love. But I can't deny that the threat of violence generates fear. And fear is infectious. Fear is like the smoke of a bushfire. It comes before the flames. It clings to your body. It invades your senses so that you cannot keep it out. And then it plays games with your mind. Fear is like the smoke of a bushfire. I grew up uh, in the north coast of New South Wales and uh, where my grandparents used to live, my parents now live, uh, there's a massive uh, forest, a national state forest of Bundjalung, and those trees, when they burn, it's an amazing sound. Have you ever heard a bushfire? It roars with a sound that's astonishing. The smoke goes up, the heat is intense. And... Fear has the sense of, well, something foreboding, something terrible is coming. Fear is like the smoke of a bushfire. Suddenly, the wall that was already half finished seemed to be only only half finished. What seemed to be great progress yesterday now looks rather less impressive. The cup that was half full yesterday looks half empty today. Fear had made it so. The people's confidence was melting away faster than snow on a summer's day. How quickly trials and hardships can change our perception of what's possible and all the more so when you're feeling tired and exhausted and your enemy is biting at your heels. The strength of our labourers is giving out, the people said, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Cannot? Cannot? That's not a sentiment born of faith. It's born of fear. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Now the rumours are flying. Hardly know what's true and what's not. Confidence evaporates ever so quickly under the threat of violence and bullies know how to play this game. They know how it works. Fear is a powerful controller of human behaviour. But the thing about bullies is they're cowards. And the thing about cowards is they stop when you stand up to them. Cowards stop when you stand up to them. 
But now the people are frightened and Nehemiah has a job to keep them calm and continuing to trust in the Lord. Meanwhile, those who lived near the territories of Sanballat's allies heard rumours of a military attack. In Nehemiah's words, they came to us ten times over saying, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. We're doomed. We're doomed. Panic, panic, panic. If I'd been Nehemiah, I'm, I'm sure I would have been tested too, wouldn't you? I mean, what if these people are right? What if we're just digging our own graves? What if the work's impossible? Such is the power of fear. It gets inside your mind. It gives you second thoughts. You, you lose your confidence. It saps the soul. A lesser man than Nehemiah might have given up, but in a demonstration of godly leadership, he continues on. He takes action where action is needed. He stations guards at the lowest point of the wall, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. Then he stood up and in front of all the people, he spoke. He rallied the troops with this astonishing and very important inspirational speech. He says in verse 14, this is just the summary of it, I'm sure, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord and fight. Fight fear with faith. Strong opposition calls for courageous faith. And this was a critical moment in Nehemiah's career. The work was about to collapse. If fear of men were allowed to master the people of God at such a time as this, it would spell disaster for that whole generation. I mean, God may still bring his purposes to pass, but no longer through them. They would miss out, just like the generation in the desert who missed out on entering the promised land through their lack of faith. Sometimes you have to stand and fight. I mean, if you can save your home in a bushfire, if you can save your home from a thief, wouldn't you do it? Don't let your home burn down without a, without a fight. If you know that Satan is attacking, don't just let him have his way. Stand and fight. Resist him, says the Bible, and he will flee from you. And that's what Nehemiah is teaching us here. He's teaching us how to fight fear with faith. Sometimes you have to stand and fight. In the words of the Apostle Peter, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So here's a recap of where we've gotten so far this morning. First, we learnt that godly action generates strong opposition, right? Nehemiah found that out very quickly the moment he announced his plan to rebuild the wall. Bam, there was Sanballat, there was Tobiah, Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, mocking him and ridiculing him. The opposition began almost immediately. Then secondly, we saw that strong opposition calls for courageous faith. Remember the Lord and fight. Don't be defeated by fear, but rather fight fear with faith like Nehemiah teaches us to do. And now my third point is that courageous fear, sorry, courageous fear, courageous faith inspires godly action. 
And this closes the circle, you see. It ensures that God's purposes are fulfilled. There's a cycle going on here in which faith is the circuit breaker. Courageous faith inspires godly action. So you resist the devil and he flees from you. But you don't have to do this alone. This is also the church's work on earth. We have each other to stand in the battle. So remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah's speech turned the tide in favour of God's people, not because they were strong in themselves, but because the Lord was with them. Now, of course, the work wasn't easy. Still had to go on, though. Nehemiah tells us those who carried the materials did the work with one hand while holding a weapon in the other, and those, each of the builders wore his sword by his side as he worked. They knew the threats that they had to deal with, and this is how they responded. And for 52 days, they worked like this. Each person contributing as he or she was able, working side by side, sister and brother, husband and wife, family and friend, safe in the knowledge that God was fighting the battle for them. This is the courage that's born from faith in the living God, whose steadfast love endures forever. And in verse 15, you can see the result. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. So the crisis passed. The work began. The opposition responded. Nehemiah stood firm. The people were encouraged. And the wall's construction continued. So they all built the wall together. That's how church ministry works too. We all build the wall. We all build the church together. God has given us different gifts, different opportunities to serve Christ together. And look, they all built the wall together from dawn till dusk. And then they stood together from dusk till dawn, not knowing when or if the enemy might come upon them. Around the clock, they worked together until the work was done. By God's grace, that attack that they feared never actually came. It was all just so much talk. For when Sanballat and Tobiah and the others saw that their plot had been frustrated, they withdrew, and Nehemiah was able to get the work done without interruption, and this was another evidence of God's grace, which became a great encouragement to God's people. But it was tough, and that's the other thing, not easy. During that entire time, Nehemiah tells us, neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes... Each one kept his weapon by his side, even when he went for water. Now, whether that means take a drink or go to the toilet, we're not sure, but you get the idea. This was around the clock, not even time to put on a fresh change of clothes through that entire time. And so through this faithfulness, God delivered his people from their enemies as they laboured together to rebuild the wall. He silenced the critics He answered their prayers. He united them together as one body and he showed them what was possible when their faith and their hope was anchored in him. So there is truth in the idea of peace through strength. In worldly terms, that speaks of military strength, but in Christian terms, we understand it to be spiritual strength. Those who trust in the Lord will find the strength to overcome every stronghold of the enemy in Christ. 
There is truth to the idea of peace through strength. So then, courageous faith inspires godly action. Nehemiah leads from the front, supporting, encouraging, leading and directing the people toward the goal of finishing the wall. He doesn't lead from the back. He's always there in the midst of the action. And his trumpeter is with him by his side to sound the alarm if that need should ever arise. He says in verse 19, The work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. See Nehemiah's worldview? He's doing what he needs to do, but he is very, very aware of God's power and presence. I love that bit. Our God will fight for us. Well, that's the kind of leader that Nehemiah is, and he's a challenge to me as a pastor, because this man is a man of faith and action. He gets the two things right. He gets them in the right order, And he puts it into practice. He trusted in God and he did his work. He did his homework and then he got out and he rolled up his sleeves with the people and they did the work together. So that when the threats of the enemy became severe, he was there able to keep calm and carry on and inspire the people to do so with him. Nehemiah always found a way through the obstacles of life with God's help and with hard work. So let's wrap things up for today. Let's see where this has taken us this morning. I want to suggest that Nehemiah was a man of God who fought fear with faith and that he teaches us at least six practical and useful things that we can take away with us today. The first thing is that spiritual warfare is inevitable. I may be just stating the obvious, but we need to say it again. The enemy is hell-bent on suppressing the gospel and enslaving the church, and that means you. You've got to be realistic about this. And you've got to count the cost. If you step up as a Christian, I don't care where you do it, if you step up, you should expect to face, at times, strong opposition. It could come in any form. It could be physical violence. It could be spiritual attack. It could be personal and private temptation. It could be any or all of these. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The point is Satan will look for any way possible to take you out, to render you ineffective. So spiritual warfare is inevitable. Secondly, that suggests to me that discouragement is understandable. We all get discouraged at times. Because when you're being targeted, it's scary. If you're being bullied and you feel very alone, you may start to ask yourself, is it really worth it? Shouldn't I just keep my head down? What if this ruins my prospects for promotion? What if my friends reject me? What if I'm just digging my own grave? Discouragement is understandable because when you're being targeted, it's scary. We need to acknowledge that too. Third, the response to this is to fight fear with faith. This is where Nehemiah's prayers come in, isn't it? He gets attacked, he prays. He turns to the Lord. He seeks comfort and counsel from God. 
Strong opposition calls for courageous faith. It's the circuit breaker. The only way to stand up to a bully is to stand firm and resist. If you don't fight, if you don't stand up, the bully won't go away because they actually get what they're looking for from your pain and, and agony. So what do we do? Well, we resist, and practically speaking, that means relying on God's strength, for he is the one who supplies the strength that we need. So that means prayer and hard work, like Nehemiah shows us. Prayer and hard work. The good news is you don't have to do it alone, because everyone's contribution matters. You might be just a quiet person, not ever wanting to be in the the light But perhaps your particular gift is to be an encourager, to be the one who offers counsel or prayer to somebody who has an upfront role or ministry, to be there, to strengthen, support, encourage when they're feeling discouraged, to be the one who's there and who is caring in Jesus' name. Everyone's contribution matters. You don't have to be a hero in the visible sense. You can be a prayer warrior too. You might be the most effective person on the team. That's part of the reason why it's important to belong to a local church and to be part of it. God has given us to each other, so we don't have to do this alone. We are in the wall-building ministry, in a sense, certainly the church-building ministry, as the kids' talk pointed out this morning. There is work to be done. There are breaches and holes in the wall, gaps to be filled, ministries to be supported. You don't have to do it alone. Finally, remember that walls are built one brick at a time. Isn't that true? Don't just snap your fingers and boom, it's done. No, they're built one brick at a time. If you keep on putting down one brick, one becomes two, two becomes three, three becomes four, and little by little, progress is achieved. If God's people hadn't persevered at this critical moment, the wall would never have been finished. See, many great miracles are completed one brick at a time through prayer and hard work. So when the the enemy attacks next time and when you're feeling down and discouraged next time, how will you respond? Have you learned anything today that you can take away with you to encourage you to respond better next time? The answer, I hope you can see, is to fight fear with faith, to do it as part of the community of God's people and to keep calm and carry on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the example of Nehemiah who was a leader of God's people who got things done because he was a man of prayer and action. Lord, we see in his response to the challenges of his day a pattern that we also can follow. So when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling attacked and alone, Lord, please remind us of this passage today from Nehemiah chapter 4, that we might be encouraged to read it and reread it and learn how Nehemiah responded, how he kept calm and carried on, trusting in you to supply the strength and to be the one 
who brought through the people of God through this particular challenge. Lord, opposition calls for courageous faith and courageous faith inspires godly action. Please work these things out in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.